All right, well, let's pray one more time and invite the Lord to lead us into this. Um, We started a new series last week on godly contentment. I sort of gave an overview of of the topic. Um, And so now we're gonna really dive in over the next three weeks into kind of three specific areas where I believe the Lord wants us to experience peace and joy and contentment that can be found only in him. And so let's invite him to come be our guide this morning as we dive into this. And so, Heavenly Father, we just come before you one more time. Um, so grateful, Lord, that you, you even laid that song on Zach and Bree's heart this week. God, what a perfect picture of where our true provision comes from. God, thank you that truly at all times, in all circumstances, in every season, we may not be happy, things may not be easy, but God, in, in all circumstances, because of you, because of your grace, because of your presence, we can experience a deep sense of being at peace. We can receive from you that, that gracious gift of a satisfied soul, of a mind at peace. Lord, the reality is I admit often that gets robbed from me. God, often I, I lose sight of you in the midst of difficult, trying circumstances. And so, Lord, I just, I acknowledge my weakness and my need. Lord, I, I want what you have for me. And so, Lord, would you help me be anchored, not just in the, in the truth where I can know information about you, but God, may, may I be anchored in experiencing the truth, the reality of your presence that brings true peace. God, would you guide us into this today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, if you missed last Sunday's message, I would encourage you to go back, give that a listen, dive into this, really just try to unpack the the idea of, of what is godly contentment? Why do we get so often ripped off from experiencing that, even even as believers. And so there were two or three core things that I just, the rest of this series is built upon. And so I wanna give you two or three quick nuggets and they're unpacked more fully last Sunday, okay? Number one, just a working definition of what it means to be content, what biblical contentment looks like. Um, It means that, that my needs are sufficiently met, okay? Everything is sufficient, I'm, I'm satisfied. It literally means having a satisfied mind or disposition. So I'm, I'm settled, I'm satisfied. In fact, contentment biblically goes so far to mean I am strong and able to assist someone else. So the, the level of contentment that I've received from the Lord that in the midst of my circumstances and all that's going on in my life, that sense of being satisfied in him him being more than enough for me, that God has so poured that into me that I'm able to be a source for other people and provide strength for others in need. So that's just kind of a working definition of contentment. Um, We'll hit on the issues of peace and joy. It's all kind of connected as we go throughout this series. And so that was kind of one thing we were rooted in. And then we talked about, um, about, you know, what is it that gives us peace? And so I encourage you to think about different things that give us peace. Um, just circumstantial things, experiences in life that give us a sense of peace. Um, it could be financially rooted, like just that sense of 
security, like my needs are provided for, we have more than enough. Um, you know, we talked about just certain, certain moments in time can give us a sense of peace. You know, there might be locations or just a state of being, like when everything's settled in my house, I, I feel like I have peace. Um, it might even be having just your own sense of purpose and identity, like, like when you're successful in your work and you're feeling successful as a parent or a spouse, that can give you a sense of peace. The truth is, if our contentment, if our peace is rooted in anything apart from the one who is the prince of peace, the God of perfect peace, if it's rooted in anything other than that, we'll be found lacking. We'll get, we'll get ripped off. We'll get disappointed. And guys, it can have devastating consequences in our life. And so one of the things I really encouraged everybody to do was take some stock by considering what steals your peace. What steals it? And so I threw this out there. You can challenge me on this if you disagree, but I, I believe this, that whatever steals my peace exposes my idols. Whatever steals my peace exposes my idols. See, the reality is, whether we realize it or not, we're worshiping something, someone, some ideal or aim. And if, if we don't know what that is, if we don't have a real sense of purpose about what I worship, then we'll just fall into what the culture around us worships. We'll repeat patterns and behaviors we learned from a young age. And we'll begin to place ultimate value in things that cannot satisfy us. And so what I wanna talk to you about very specifically this morning, I titled this at all times. I wanna talk to you specifically this morning about the ability to be content in any circumstance. And so one thing to kind of consider or wrestle with is what circumstances in your life rip off your peace? What circumstances that come about as you go about your everyday life when do you find yourself just robbed of contentment and peace? And let's have a sense of awareness of like, what might be behind that? You know, that'd be a really good starting point. Talk to the Lord about that. Lord, what is behind that? Why is it when that thing happens, when those sort of circumstances pop up, why do I so quickly go to anxiety? Lord, why do I so quickly gravitate towards anger? feeling like something's been stolen from me. Lord, what's, what's behind that? And so I wanna dive into this a little bit because Paul, um, if you know anything about Paul's life, he had plenty of difficult circumstances in his life. <laughs> and yet he said, I've discovered this secret about contentment. And so let's, let's start right here in Philippians chapter four. Um, Philippians chapter four is a very, very um, well-known passage of scripture, even if you don't know it off the top of your head when I say Philippians 4, there's two or three different verses in just this one chunk of scripture that are just well-known, like used to be refrigerator magnet, now it's like Instagram meme, um, where it's just that verse that you just know you've seen. And so one of them is found right here in what we're gonna read. So Philippians chapter four, we're gonna read verses 11 through 13. Paul's writing to the, the church there and he says, not that I am speaking of being in need, 
For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Well, good for you, Paul. (laughs) Thanks so much. But listen, he's got some wisdom he wants to share. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, you know this, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret to contentment in all circumstances is by receiving from Christ a strength that we don't have on our own. That's the secret. It's it's rooted in him. He is the source of strength that provides for me in the midst of all the circumstances that would communicate something else. And see, I love what Paul says here. You know, I joked about Paul's like, I've, I've learned that in whatever circumstances I can be content. Well, the reason he was able to say that was because of all of the various circumstances he has been in. I realize we all walk through some stuff. I I would challenge you though to pick up some of the places in scripture where Paul lists the circumstances he has been in and just take note of what it cost him to learn how to be content in all circumstances. He was left for dead on more than one occasion. He, he had been in a lot of hard circumstances. But the other thing that Paul says is he highlights something that we don't often think about. He's learned to be content when things are good. He's learned to be content in Christ when things are good. See, not only is it difficult when life is hard, to find satisfaction and peace in the midst of that. But often when life is good, without even realizing it, we do this little exchange. And somewhere along the way, I I, I knew I needed to be rooted in the Lord and trusting in him for peace and rest and satisfaction. But then I, I get into a place where, you know, I'm in a good rhythm. Life's happening at a good pace. Things seem really settled. And it's kind of what we sang about this morning, right? Jesus, I'm not here for blessing. I'm just here for you. But somewhere along the way, I, I do this swap and I, I start celebrating the blessing so much that I stop relying upon and trusting in the blesser. And so Paul says, in all of these circumstances, in the up and in the down, I've learned the secret to find contentment And it's that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what I wanna do next is I wanna wanna move into a specific story in Paul's life. If you're anything like me, when I'm in the realm of like the conceptual things in scripture, you know, the list of things like, okay, I should just choose contentment. Cool, great. That doesn't work very well for me. Like I can go home, I can have the three-point sermon locked in, I can know the steps, and then Tuesday morning hits, 
And that thing comes out of left field that I wasn't expecting. I just find that I'm, I'm not as rooted in those three points as I felt so confident about when I left on Sunday morning. <laughs> Is that just me? And so I, I want us to take a minute and really look at a specific moment in Paul's life because I believe it will give us some very real and practical guidance on what we can do when, man, the circumstances hit the fan. When, when the situation gets difficult, when I find myself just plunged into that place again of going, God, where are you right now? What's going on here? How did I find myself in this place again? And, and my hope is not like when we get there that we see it and then we just go, you know, we get on the guilty train, right? Oh man, here I am, not trusting God again. I'm, I'm believing in all these other things and, and then, it's, then that's an added thing, right? So I'm, I'm not just anxious and angry and disappointed. I'm now feeling guilty and beat up. Maybe, maybe it's just me that has all those mind games going on. The, the goal is not to recognize I got off track and now, man, how did I do that and beat myself up? The goal in all of this is to figure out how do we actually, in, in everyday real life situations, how do we stay rooted and connected to the source of peace? And so let's take a look at this story from Paul's life and see what we can learn. So this is found in Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is famous um, specifically because Paul had this moment where he receives what's known as the Macedonian call. And so he's, he's kind of looking for what's next. He knows God's called him to go and, and preach the gospel and plant churches. And, and he goes from town to town to do that. And he usually has a travel partner. So at this season of his life, Silas is traveling with Paul. And they feel like there's just some closed doors. They don't have any clear direction. And early in chapter 16, Paul finally gets this clarity. And he has this vision of, of this, this man from Macedonia inviting him to come. And so he recognizes the Lord's calling me to a new place. And so he goes into the region of Macedonia. And right away, he goes to the primary town in that area and he begins to do what he's called to do. He begins to share the gospel. And so him and Silas, they meet this woman named Lydia. And man, she has a heart for the Lord already, but she's never heard the gospel message. And so Paul shares Christ with her. She receives him eagerly. Her whole family comes to know the Lord. I mean, it's just exciting. Like he's gone to the place where God called him and he got to share hope and truth and he saw the impact. Like it changed this family's life. Think about how exciting that must be. You know those moments where you make a decision, you just feel like God's hand is kind of on it. You know, I made this crucial decision. Maybe it was a job choice. Maybe it was a move. Maybe it was whatever. And, and you just have this sense that like, I'm pretty sure we heard from God here. And so you step into it and it, it's working out. It's like, God, I, I see you at work in this. Man, what joy, what excitement. And so Paul and Silas continue there in town and there's this, this slave girl and she has these owners who use her to tell fortunes. And so they're making money off of this girl and the reason she's able to do this is because of demonic possession. And so 
we're not gonna get into that whole story this morning, but she has an encounter with Paul and Silas and she gets set free. The demon gets cast out, she's set free, she's made whole. Like what an incredible, exciting thing. So they're seeing people give their lives to Christ. They're seeing radical healing and deliverance. Like this is exciting stuff. God is on the move. And so what are the results of their faithfulness? They've gone to this location, they've preached, they've brought freedom, they have success in ministry, and the results are the town turns on them. The owners of this girl, they're mad because they're losing their payday. And they rile up the rest of the town against them and they're attacked by many in the town. Acts 16, verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that moment where you're walking with Jesus and you're doing all the right stuff and then you feel like you go off the edge of the cliff. Joy, success, I heard from God, I'm faithfully obeying him. Bam, we hit the wall. God, what's going on? What happened here? Friends, I I realize that there are hard circumstances of life that we get in that are the direct result of our unfaithfulness, of mistakes that we make. I believe God's grace is available even in those times too. But friends, there are moments where we find ourselves in circumstances that make no sense. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm trusting in your promises. I'm trusting in your faithfulness. I've committed my life to you. Maybe I'm not perfect, but God, like I'm faithfully following you. I'm trusting you. I've made sacrifices. I've laid some things down to give you my life, to give you my heart. God, what gives? What's going on? How did I end up here? Where are you in this? Can y'all relate to this at all? Man, I've been there. God, what is going on? Following Jesus and obeying his call will not always lead to success, at least not as we measure it. I believe there's there's a real issue that I I know is prevalent in our culture, and maybe it's Maybe it's a human-wide issue, but I know it's prevalent in our culture. And it is, it is the issue of fairness. And the, the feeling that when things aren't fair, something's been stolen from me. I'm owed something. I'll never forget this growing up. The phrase, that's not fair, that was like a curse word in my house. <laughs> Dad hated that. Don't tell me it's not fair. Like we would use that all the time. Listen, when you have siblings especially, you're very aware of whatever your fairness scale is. And rarely is it tilted in your favor. 
But my, my dad was trying to teach me something at a young age that like fairness is not promised to us. In fact, the opposite. Like I, I wish that all of Jesus' communication was all good news all the time. Now he did bring good news, but Jesus told us the truth. And he said, in this life, you will have trouble. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Friends, we are going to be in circumstances that make absolutely no sense. God, why am I here? How did I get here? What's interesting to me though, that I've discovered in myself is that when my life is going well, when I'm provided for, when there's peace in my relationship with my wife, when there are those brief glimpses in a house with six children where there's peace, like in those moments where things are good and they're settled, you know what I've, I've never said in those moments? God, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have it this good. God, I'm undeserving in and of myself of receiving grace, mercy, goodness. I don't ever question fairness in those moments. But actually, those are the more unfair moments. (laughs) It's a miracle that God's grace is available to me. It's a miracle that in this broken, fallen world that's, that is impacted by my own sin and mistakes that I bring into my house and the sins of others in my household and the issues I experience from friends and enemies and sometimes those lines are even blurry and like all, all of the mess of this life and this world, it's a miracle that there's moments of, of peace and rest and grace. The reason we, we crave that, and I believe the reason we even settle into it more easily is that somewhere deep inside of us, God has created us for paradise. We don't live in Eden anymore, but it's in our heart. We, we desire to be at peace with God, with each other, with the world around us. And that peace is constantly being impacted by the brokenness of this world. Friends, when that's, when that's getting ripped away, when it's getting from, stolen from us, what we need to realize is that is a specific quality of this world. But it is not what I was created for. It's not my true home. My true home is with the King of Kings who is the Prince of Peace. My true home is what he has for me. And guys, part of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that in the midst of a fallen and broken world, while we await ultimate peace, while we await ultimate satisfaction and joy that he has for us, forever in his presence, that while we wait for that, his peace is available to us here and now. 
we can experience a sense in the midst of any circumstances where we're connected with him and receive peace. And friends, what, what happens next in the story shows us the pathway to connecting with our God who brings peace at all times in every circumstance. Verse 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. It's the miracle. Worshiping in the prison and freedom comes. Have y'all heard that story before? Is that familiar to you? Friends, I just have to say to you, the first miracle in this story is not the prison doors opening. It's not the foundation shaking. It's not the shackles falling off. It's people worshiping God in prison. That's the first miracle. It's the miracle of faith that looks outside of the present circumstances and says, God, you are worth praising. You are worthy of worship. There is no indication anywhere in this story that this was a strategy for escape. Now, I'm all for sermons based around that and songs rooted in that. Like, I'm gonna worship till the prison doors open. That's great. This was not looking for an escape from, from the current circumstances. See, the, the truth is, in the history of my life, when I'm in circumstances like that, probably my most often response is not even to think about him and is to, to try to look around and figure out how can I change these circumstances? How can I get out? How can I leave? How can I manipulate and change things to fix this? What can I do to get out of these circumstances? And then whatever the small little percentage is where I would shift into talking to him, the truth is most of the time, even when I'm doing that, I'm trying to change outcomes. I'm trying to get him to do something to make things the way I want them to be. Now listen, I've said this before. I said it last week. I absolutely think we bring our requests to him. We bring our needs to him. I absolutely think we can say, God, help, I'm in trouble here and I don't want to be here. I totally believe that. But what I'm saying is that at all times, in all circumstances, we have an opportunity to go, you know what? Even in the midst of this, God, I, I choose to worship you. I choose to make you my aim, my focus. I choose to recognize that you're my provider. And friends, the best way I know how to get my heart right is to tell it what to do. David did this. 
over and over again in the Psalms, you'll see him talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He's telling himself, get in line. (laughs) Because when my circumstances are troubling, my soul is in despair. But I can choose to say, soul, we're going to look up. We're going to worship the creator of heaven and earth. We're going to worship the God who loves me at all times, in every circumstance. I'm going to choose to believe he's up to something. Maybe the truth is he's about to change my circumstances and I can trust him through it. Maybe the truth is he's up to something in the midst of these circumstances and I'm right where he wants me to be. And my measure of success, my measure of content is not his measure. That his grace is sufficient for me, even in this. And so I can choose to worship. See, here's the cool thing, guys. The reality is, when we do worship, something begins to shake. The foundations of the very thing that has us trapped begins to shake when we worship God. When I put him in his proper place, everything else begins to fall in line. I don't mean that that automatically means my circumstances will change when I worship. I mean the thing that has me locked up, there is a breakthrough when I worship him. Because I'm saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to be a slave for Christ. I'm choosing to surrender to you, not this thing that has me bound. Remember where we started. That which steals my peace exposes my idols. When I am locked up and I'm in my own version of shackles, when I'm at the lowest of low, I'm in the inner parts of the prison, there's darkness there. I mean, think about that. The inner part of the prison at midnight, David could relate to that when he talked about being in the very depths of Sheol, You might not have physical shackles on your hands and feet, but you may very well know what it means to be in that deep, dark pit, that hole. And the reality is God wants to break us free from the stuff that would keep us trapped there. And the freedom is not in circumstances changing. The freedom is in my perspective shifting. The freedom comes from being connected to the God of peace, being connected to the one who is with me and who loves me and is for me. And when I choose to worship him, things begin to shift. The very foundations of what has trapped me begins to rumble and shake and the enemy has no more hold. And so what happens? Freedom comes because of God's power and God's presence. Now the story doesn't end there. Remember it said there were other people listening in and then when the shackles came off and the doors opened, it wasn't just Paul's prison cell. Everyone around was impacted. Verse 27, 
when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now who's in despair? Now whose circumstances have changed? One minute ago, they were locked up and in prison and I'm doing okay. Now they're free and I'm in trouble. And now this jailer is in absolute despair. He's at the end of the rope. He's so worried about what's coming his way because all of the people escaped when he was on watch that this was the easier way out. And so he intended to kill himself, supposing, verse 27, that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You there in prison, you clearly are the one who's truly free. I'm out here in supposed freedom and I know I'm not. I recognize something in you that I don't have. What must I do to get saved? Paul's sense of I'm okay right here where I am right now. The minute there was an open door, he didn't just go rushing out of there. He was, he was present. See, when, when we're connected with the Lord like that, when we find the ability to be, to be safe in any circumstance, to be present in any circumstance, guys, we can be really there. We can be really there, really present with real purpose. And so he's taking in everything around him. He sees the other people that have been set free. He doesn't take off and run. He notices this jailer and cares about that guy. Listen, the chains might've fallen off. Paul got beat up. He's messy. He's bloody. I can prove it to you because in a minute, he's finally about to have his wounds taken care of. He's still a mess. He's still bearing the physical pain that he's gone through and yet he's present in the moment with the Lord and he sees the other people there and he sees this guy in need and he offers him hope. Verse 31, Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And the jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He washed their wounds and he was washed and made new. This is godly contentment. Here's Paul, beaten hurting, imprisoned. And yet in the midst of that circumstance, he finds himself content, praising and worshiping God, knowing that his God's got it. And he's so content that he's got some overflow to give away. He has enough strength rooted in the peace God's given him that he can extend peace to someone else because he can relate he can relate to the need, he can relate to the pain, he can relate to the circumstance, but he's got something that that jailer cannot relate to.
He has a God who loves him and is with him always and is for him. He has the good news of Jesus Christ and he shares it. And so in his own broken circumstance, he offers hope to someone else. Friends, I experienced this in so many different ways during the course of this last year. I mean, you talk about a year when you wanna see the circumstances change. And over and over again, I find myself, man, I'm struggling. I'm in that pit. I'm in that prison of my own thoughts. Fears, anxieties, worries, feeling like something's stolen from me. It's been hard. And this wasn't in my notes, but we were right almost at the five-year mark coming into COVID and year after year after year of just starting from scratch, blazing a trail. And man, we just, you could feel like we were on that cusp of like really settled, really rooted as a church, like just a, a body of believers growing, thriving, our entire heart was to be rooted in real community. So like really spending time with each other, building real relationship, which by the way, does not mean perfect. You know, the way we sort of like interpret some of those passages and acts is like everything's rosy. No, no, people are difficult. <laughs> I'm difficult, but it's worth it. And I gotta tell y'all, man, when, when COVID hit and we started to realize this is gonna take a while, dude, I just felt like my knees got cut out from under me. Lord, what is going on? We were like at a turning point. What's happening? But the other cool thing that happened over the course of this year over and over again in my life, and I, I pray I've been this for some other people as well. I think I have, but I know in my own life, other friends of mine who are sitting in the same circumstances I'm sitting in have spoken life, hope, and truth into this weary heart to remind me of the peace and the freedom that comes from him alone. Like this whole thing could fall apart and it's all right. My life has been touched by other people in the midst of hard circumstances saying, man, here's something simple the Lord did for me. Here's a little gift he gave me in the middle of this. Here's a little bit of hope. Here's a little bit of peace. Here's just, just, just a reminder of his faithfulness. And they didn't just keep it to themselves, they shared it. And I got to be on the receiving end of that and I've just gone, oh, there's a fresh breath of air. There's the ability to keep going. There's the reminder of the truth. Friends, we don't need to just cry, cry out to him and be connected to him in all circumstances. Part of why we worship corporately, it's not just about all being in the same room singing the same words together. We're preaching to each other when we're singing. We're speaking truth into each other's lives. We're praying for one another. We're communicating the truth and hope of the gospel and it, it keeps us anchored in him, our true source of hope and life and peace. Y'all catching this? Godly contentment, it's meant to be contagious. Multiple times over and over again, just in Acts 16 alone, we hear the story of someone hearing the good news of the gospel and they take it to their whole household. Happened right here with the jailer. It's meant to be contagious. Now, I, I withheld this information at the beginning 
and you may already know it because you're smart, probably smarter than me. But the passage we opened up with, Philippians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, that's written to a church that was established in Philippi. Do you know the capital city of the region of Macedonia where Paul goes and leads Lydia to the Lord, where Paul goes and sets a girl free through the power of Jesus who is possessed by a demon, where Paul goes and is broken out of jail through worship and leads a jailer to the Lord? That's the town of Philippi. This is the birth of the Philippian church right here. That church was birthed from a jail cell. That church was birthed out of someone being beaten, weary, and torn down, yet holding on with hope to Jesus, because that's real hope. That's something real and meaningful and lasting. And this church is born out of that. And so now, years later, Paul's writing back to that jailer when he says these words. I want you to let this hit you. I'm gonna read a little bit more of the context of Philippians 4 written to that jailer and that girl who was possessed and Lydia and countless others who had come to the Lord out of this prison moment. And Paul says in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Don't those words hit different? They know that's what Paul did. That's how they're there. That's how they know Jesus because he did that. He was in their jail cell and he rejoiced in the Lord always. And they now know Jesus because of it. This isn't some like happy, smiley face, good news Sunday morning song. This is real. They've gone through real stuff together. They've watched Paul live this in difficult circumstances. And he says, yet rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's a terrible translation, reasonableness. That's not even really what it means. It, it's similar to content. It, it, means, it means gentle and patient. Let your ability to be at ease in all circumstances be known to everyone. Well, they know Paul did that. That's how they received the truth. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. He's at, he's at hand. That's like what Jesus was saying. We said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It doesn't mean it's coming down the road. It's present. The Lord is right here. He's present. He's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. That's prayer and worship. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense to be beaten and bloody and bruised in a jail cell in chains and have peace. But that's real peace. And it's the kind God offers. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Remember our worship response from last Sunday? Meditate. Meditate on the truth of who God is, what he's done, his faithfulness. What you have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Let's live this out. And the God of peace will be with you. He's at hand. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. Letting him strengthen me. Being rooted and grounded in him, finding peace in God. Friends, this isn't a complicated message. It's kind of one simple thought, one simple idea. But man, living it, that's a whole nother thing. Choosing to worship God at all times, in all circumstances, in every season, that his peace might permeate our lives, that we might be contagious to others who need it. And by the way, that we might receive some from each other along the way as we have need. Friends, we can have peace in all circumstances. I wanna quickly leave you with your worship response or spiritual discipline for the week, a way to put some of this stuff into practice. Last week, we talked about meditating on God's word. The worship response for this week is fasting. It's fasting. I want to read one quick scripture to you to just kind of set the tone for this and then we'll get out of here. There's a passage in Luke chapter five. It's, it's right after Jesus has called Matthew or Levi. He's a tax collector, calls him to follow him. So Matthew is now a disciple. And so Matthew throws a huge feast at his home and his tax collector friends and sinners and Jesus and his disciples, they all gather for this big feast and the Pharisees are there and even some of John the Baptist's disciples are there and they're kind of observing, observing all of this and they're offended. They're offended that he's eating with sinners and they've expressed that. And now they say to him in Luke 5, 33, Pharisees said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Well, Jake, this is a weird passage to promote fasting. Jesus is saying, why would they fast right now? 
I believe the very core of what fasting is about is rooted in what Jesus is talking about right here. In this circumstance, he's saying, I'm right here present with them. Of course they're going to have a feast. Of course there's going to be a celebration. I'm present. I'm tangible. I'm here. This is like a wedding party. Why would they fast? We're together. And then he says, there will be a time when the bridegroom isn't here and they will fast. Friends, the the secret thing to fasting, it's not about doing without. It's about understanding where the real feast comes from. Jensen Franklin has a great book on fasting. I'd encourage you to check it out. But I love this quote from his book. Fasting is not just a physical discipline. It can be, and I would say should be, a spiritual feast. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, your hunger for more of his presence eclipses the limitation of your understanding. The spiritual reality is peace in his presence. The practical, physical reality right now, me and Jesus aren't meeting at Starbucks this afternoon. That that tangible sense of his presence is is missing, but he is present and he is real and we we can engage with him. And so one of the practices that can help us do that is by choosing some difficult circumstances to remind me where my real source of provision comes from. See, I can choose it when I fast. I don't choose it when life just kind of hits me in the face. And so I can choose to do that. I can prepare myself to, to rest upon him when I am in need, when my circumstances aren't great. Andrew Murray talks about it like this, about how prayer and fasting work together to connect us with the Lord. I love this quote. Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. That's a bold statement. Prayer needs fasting for its full growth. Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Prayer is me connecting with the Lord. Fasting is the other hand the one with which we let go of the visible. I love that. I'm choosing to say my physical circumstances are not gonna have a hold on me. I'm gonna choose the larger, greater reality of that which is spiritual, of that which is eternal, of that which is lasting. Fasting. What's the purpose of it? I'm gonna close with this Fasting is about being focused and centered on God. It's God-focused. I would even say it's God-initiated. Like, don't just do it because, like, some people told you to. My expectation is not everybody's going to be fasting this week. I'm just giving you a, a practice that would be good to incorporate in your life. You walk this out with the Lord. Searching for him with no other objective to manipulate or control. This isn't about getting him to do something. It's about spending time with him. It's just a desire to seek him and to find him and to center on him. All right? Um, Last year when we were preaching through the Bible, about early August, I did a whole sermon on fasting. 
And so if you want a resource to maybe figure out some practical guidance on this, I also took a lot of those notes and I've attached them at the end of today's sermon notes. And so I've got a copy here, but if you go online this week on the website, when we post the sermon notes, usually Tuesday morning, the last few pages are just some some direction on fasting, how to do it, what it is, some spiritual background. But if you want a practical step that you can take, that's one of the worship responses, to fast so that we may feast on the Lord and his goodness. All right, let's pray together. God, I thank you for the the grace, the peace, the joy, the contentment that you offer. God, I acknowledge that most of my walk, um, I've not responded like Paul. Thank you for the times when I have. God, thank you for, for some wisdom from him, some direction from him. Lord, I pray for myself, for my friends. God, that, that more and more, you would begin to shake the very foundations of the things that have locked us up. God, would you expose the way that we've worshiped things other than you, things that bring about anxiety, anger, despair, frustration, things that rob us from that deep sense of satisfaction that's found in you. Lord, would you help us to worship you, to cling to you at all times, in every circumstance. May we receive grace that is sufficient from you. May we experience peace in your presence as we learn to lean on you for your strength at all times. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.